All right, we are just starting Judges, Lesson 7, page 13 in the book. I'm going to uh, read a little bit first of what I found in the uh, uh, commentary I was using. They talk about the book of Judges. It says it stands in a stark contrast to Joshua. We just left Joshua. And in Joshua, an obedient people conquered the land through the trust in the power of God. In Judges, however, a disobedient and idolatrous people are defeated time and time again because of their rebellion against God. In seven distinct cycles of sin to salvation, Judges shows how Israel had set aside God's law, and in its place they substituted, uh, in chapter 21, verse 25, it says, that which was right in their own eyes. The recurring result of abandonment from God's law is corruption from within and oppression from without. During the nearly 400 centuries spanned by this book, God raises up military champions to throw, to throw off the yoke of bondage and to restore the nation to pure worship. But all too soon, the sin cycle begins again as the nation's spiritual temperature grows steadily colder. Uh, the Hebrew title is Shaphetim, meaning judges, rulers, deliverers, or saviors. Shaphet not only carries the idea of maintaining justice and settling disputes, but it is also used, also used, but it also used to mean liberating and delivering. First, the judges deliver the people, and then they rule and administer justice. Uh, he goes on to state this book could also appropriately be called the Book of Failure. I <laughs> You know, through the Exodus and everything, we saw the people would go away for, you know, leave God, but it wasn't for the years that they're doing it here. This this goes on, um, I think I read, they said almost 400 years. I read uh, another place where it said over 350 years at the time of the judges. And I stop and think about that, putting it in context, thinking, wow, you know, this country hasn't been around, you know, maybe a little over half of that time. So this is a long, ongoing period where God is I, trying to get his people to come to grips with who God is, who they are as his people, and the land that he has given to them if they do what he tells them to do. All right, I'm going to read the... Uh, Little summary here. First, first part of uh, Judges. After the death of Joshua, this is starting in Josh, uh, Judges one one. After the death of Joshua, the Israelites asked the Lord, "Who of us is to go up first to fight the Canaanites?" And the Lord answered, "Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands." I'm having a flashback here. Did we cover some of this last week? I'm I'm just I'm reading it and it's like I think I've been up here reading this before, but that's we might have read just maybe this much, but 
That's what it is. I thought I was up here reading. This sure sounds familiar. Yeah, I think we just, just a touch of it. Well, you're going to get a refresher course now. I'm okay. <laughs> okay, um, starting in verse 2. The Lord answered, Judah shall go up. I have given the land into their hands. And the men of Judah then said to the Simeonites, their fellow Israelites, come up with us to fight against the Canaanites. We in turn will go with you into yours. So the Simeonites went with them. When Judah attacked, the Lord gave the Canaanites and Perizzites into their hands, and they struck down 10,000 men at Bezek. It was there that they found Adoni Bezek and fought against him, putting to rout the Canaanites and Perizzites. Adoni Bezek fled, but they chased him and caught him and cut off his thumbs and big toes. Then Adoni Bezek said, Seventy kings with their thumbs and big toes cut off have picked up scraps under my table. Now God has paid me back for what I did to them. They brought him to Jerusalem, and he died there. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem also and took it. They put the city to the sword and set it on fire. After that, Judah went down to fight against the Canaanites living in the hill country, the Negev and the western foothills. They advanced against the Canaanites living in Hebron and defeated Shishai, Ammon, and Talmai. From there they advanced against the people living in Debir. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksah in marriage to the man who attacks and captures Kirath, Sephir. Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother, took it. So Caleb gave his daughter Aska to him in marriage. Yeah, some of this stuff that sounds familiar to me, we've covered before in a slight... We've covered certain questions a little bit in it. Okay. What starts off with the uh, Israelites here were wanting to know... After the death of Joshua, they asked the Lord, who, who of us is to go up first to fight the Canaanites? So, how was the conquest of the land incomplete? They didn't, did they? They were, Joshua died, and they still had not gotten all the people out says after John I wrote down here after Joshua's death at 110 well Joshua was 80 was 85 when they got there so 85 15 25 years later the Israelites had not completely taken the promised land and after inquiring of God who said that Judah should go first they talked to the tribe of Simeon within their borders to go with them and help fight and they in return would go help Simeon well if you remember on the map Judah was a pretty large territory, and Simeon was kind of down to the south, but still completely surrounded. All they were completely within the borders of of uh, I just mentioned it, Judah. Thank you. He is right in front of me. Yeah, they didn't drive the Jebusites out of Jerusalem either. When you get down to that, what was that? Uh, verse seventeen. Well, let's see, I'm down around verse 20 to 21. Uh, they gave Hebron to Caleb. But the sons of Benjamin did not, yeah, it's verse 21, did not drive out the Jebusites who inhabited Jerusalem. Yeah, I was wondering about that. And if we come back up here, 
I didn't write that first down, did I? Uh, where it says that uh, Judah had taken it. I should have written that verse down. Oh, uh, verse 8. I did read it. The men of Judah attacked Jerusalem also and took it. And they put to city, and they put the city to the sword and set it on fire. So I, you know, there's there's a taking of the city where you go in and you say we're here, we took it, we'll burn stuff, and then they leave, or or they didn't completely take it. You know, it, it's like they they back off a little bit because later on down here it does say that they 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 were not able to take them out the uh, Jebusites. And way later on, who does take the city of Jerusalem? He became a king. This is way later. David. Yeah, that's that's. Oh, I don't know where that is. It's it's back in Samuel or something. But uh, David finally goes in and takes it, and that is like their holy becomes their holy city then, and it's still. I thought it was odd that it was called Jerusalem. I don't know for how long. I thought they probably, in my mind, I'm thinking, well, they called it Jerusalem when they picked this city out. And I said, we'll call this Jerusalem. You know, this will be God's city. But that was the name of the, the city for a long time before that. And it was a hard city, uh, an easy city to defend, hard one to conquer because of the way it was set up on a hill with like three three valleys around it. They they had a pretty easy way to go with uh, defending it. Okay, uh, nothing more. The uh, second question, it's the appearance of the angel of God in chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. How did Israel disobey God? And it says to compare this with... Uh, Deuteronomy chapter 7, 1 through 5. And that says, When the Lord your God brings you into the land you are entering to possess and drives out before you many nations, the Hittites, Gergesites, Amorites, Canaanites, Perizzites, Hivites, and Jebusites, seven nations larger and stronger than you. And when the Lord your God has delivered them over to you and you have defeated them, then you must destroy them totally. Make no treaty with them. Show them no mercy. Do not intermarry with them. Do not give your daughters to their sons or take their daughters for your sons. For they will turn your children away from following me to serve other gods. And the Lord's anger will burn against you and you will quickly and, and will quickly destroy you. This is what you are to do. Break down their altars, smash their sacred stones, cut down their Asherah poles, and burn their idols in the fire. For you are a people holy to the Lord your God. The Lord your God has chosen you out of all peoples on the face of the earth to be his people, his treasured possession. The Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all peoples. But it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestors that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the land of slavery from the power of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. So 
they were warned here not to do these things. And what did they do? They gave their daughters over in marriage. They uh, took foreign daughters for their sons. And they left God and worshipped what these people were worshipping. Exactly what God told them not to do. I I was reading this thinking this is this is life eternal, isn't it? It it's uh they were talking about the uh, I'll call it a vicious cycle, the cycle where people go away from God and they come back and, and we see that I don't know about other countries so much, but in the United States, um, people turn to God in certain times and then they turn away. And I'm, I'm talking like a generalization of religious people. Uh, Usually when there's tragedy or trouble or war or something, mm -hmm. we seem to turn toward God. We, you know, we don't think about the fact that we see the turn toward God. We, you know, or look at 9-11, how many people were praying and, yeah. you know, all kinds of things going on to get close to God and as soon as and and looking to follow God's laws. Yeah. And now it's like God's laws, I don't, I don't know. I've been seeing a lot of things just pop up with like, you know, God, if, if God doesn't like homosexuals, if God doesn't like this, if God doesn't like that, then he's no good. Or yeah. uh, God is, is imperfect and, and he is nowhere, you know. We'll, we'll just make our own rules. And I'm thinking like this, this all goes back to... I think it's being indoctrinated into the younger people. Oh yeah, yeah. I I really think it's and it's uh, some of the ways uh, some what we'll call learned people will say that, well, you know, you people are just backwards. You know, this this is now. This is modern times. Well, <laughs> you go back to the time of Jesus was like modern times for them, and they had the same problems back then. It's nothing new. Okay. Um, if nothing else, we'll go on to question three. Uh, what would be the consequence of this disobedience? It says in verse 3 there, they will be thorns in your sides and their gods will be a snare to you. Meaning, you know, they would be, they would be it would be bad overall for yeah. them. You know, really? to, they will be tempted to go astray with these other gods and, and to follow other practices. Yeah, and, and that's, and God would, kind of what we read about in the New Testament, when, in Romans, when it talks about God will give them over to their, their evil ways. If people want to believe what, you know, somebody is telling them, like, well, God God must be a hateful God, you know, if he doesn't like these people or doesn't like those. Well, God loves everyone, just not the sin that they're doing. So, again, nothing new under the sun here. God will give them over to their to their evil ways, to what they want. And it goes on to say there are going to be people standing there cheering them on, you know. Uh, in Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, it says, The angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim and said, I brought you up out of Egypt and led you into the land I swore to give your ancestors. I said, I will never break my covenant with you, and you shall not make a covenant with the people of this land, but you shall break down their altars. Yet you have disobeyed me. 
Why have you done this? And I have also said, I will not drive them out before you. They will become traps for you, and their gods will become snares to you. When the angel of the Lord had spoken these things to all the Israelites, the people wept aloud. So the consequence was, God wasn't going to fight for them. He was not going to help them. If they went out to fight, they were on their own. And when they were on their own fighting these people, they lost. And then the cries would go up, you know, where's God? In uh, question four, the passing of Joshua's generation. That's so we're in chapter two, verses six through ten. And this basically goes on to say what I've just been talking about. Uh, after Joshua dismissed the Israelites, they went to take possession of the land, each to their own inheritance. And the people served the Lord throughout the lifetime of Joshua and of the elders who outlived him, and who had seen all the great things the Lord had done for Israel. Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died at the age of 110, and they buried him in the land of his inheritance at Timnah. Timnaharis, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gash. After that, the whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors. Another generation grew up who knew neither the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. So here we have a younger generation coming on. And it's, it almost seems like human nature. It's like they forget. They weren't there. They didn't see the great things that God did. And even the people who lived through those times still fell away from time to time, but not not for the period of 20, 40, 80 years that God's people then had done here. I was going to say, uh, they were given the Passover, so they wouldn't forget. But that was just once a year. Yes. And we're given the Lord's Supper, and that's a repetition to remember. And that's every week. Yeah, they had, they had other times that they were supposed to remember things, but the Passover... The, uh, I want to say the Day of Atonement was once a year, too. And so they had things that they remembered on a yearly basis um, and, and others that they did as they went along. But they didn't see the signs, the wonders where God led them out, where he's parted the Red Sea. But along the way, they built these, these memorials, you know, with the rocks. And it says, when your children ask you, what's this pile of rocks doing here? You tell them. Other people are teaching our children today. Yeah. Uh, since Judges, uh, question four, since Judges chapter two, verses six through ten is a repetition of Joshua 24, 28 through 31, what do you think was the purpose of this repetition? Well, I looked them up, and verse 2, see, see two, oh, uh, chapter 2, verses 10 and 11 are different. It shows that another generation came along who didn't know God. So the first one was, was warning of it, and the other reading, chapter, uh, verses 10 and 12, is different, where it talks about the whole, after that, a whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, all the the elder people had passed on. 
And the younger people grew up and like, we don't know the Lord. Who's God? Then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord and served the Baals. Uh, question five. What is said of the people during the time of Joshua? What happened to them after his death and why do you think this happened? Well, during the Joshua's lifetime, who did the people follow? They followed God. For they, they might have drifted away a little bit, but Joshua, uh, Joshua, yes, Joshua kept them in line. Was it? And, and well, after Joshua, Caleb came along. They said, "Choose for yourselves who you will serve this day." As for me and my family. We will serve the Lord. Um, what happened after after Joshua's death? Well, that's when Israel forsook God. Uh, maybe they hadn't been taught. I, I mentioned the memorial stones they had set up to remember what had transpired. Uh, they intermarried. They were drawn into idolatry. Uh, what happens years, many years later here with, with uh, Solomon? A very wise man. The wisest, I think, they said it was ever was. And he got led away into idolatry. He, he had wives. He had a bunch of wives. But he allowed himself, rather than, than take Israelite woman, he married foreign women, came in, and they brought their, their religion with them. And he, he was drawn into that with them. What was so sad about some of this stuff was they grew up in the high places and, and they'd offer sacrifices to the uh, gods like Baal. Mm -hmm. And then they come back into the, the temple and have the priests offer sacrifices for them. Yeah. Serving two gods. Yeah. That. yeah. That, that was a, a case of it's, it, it's almost in a case like that. You, you look at it, and God doesn't mean anything to the people. And as God told them, I'm a jealous God. Have no other gods before you. Well, we'll worship this God, and then we'll worship this, and then we'll go worship God, which means nothing to God at that point. So the people around them were worshiping these gods, so they were trying to be people pleasers and do be with them, be with the crowd. And then they wanted to please the true God, and they'd go to the temple. Well, I think, yeah, some of these gods. People do that today. Some of these gods that, that I've read about a little bit. Some of them were like fertility gods and stuff, and they had they had uh, temple prostitutes. So, you know, it's like, wow, you know, we could go to church here and worship God, or we could go over here and have a lot of fun. So let's go there, and that's what I think draw them, drew them in a little bit, and and intermarriage. It's like, wow, you know. They got they got different women over here. I'm excited, and then those women say, "Wow, these guys are different. They would marry." But we don't read about, and maybe it happened in a small percentage of cases where one of the Israelites uh, would marry somebody and bring them into the Jewish faith. But as a general rule, it, it looks like everybody that married outside <laughs> got drawn off to the uh, four corners. Well, my dad and mom always said. For some reason, when you get in the wrong crowd, you will do what that crowd does. And that's the way the Jewish people work. Evil companions corrupt good morals. Yeah.
you look that up. I don't know where it says it, but it, I think it's in there. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this old private joke with Phyllis and I. You, there was a guy that used to say, we, we knew this older, older guy. He's, I don't know how old he was, a little bit older than me. And he would always say, he'd quote something out, and he'd say, that's in the Bible. You look that up. And it's like, well, I don't know where to begin to look that up. I don't, why don't you tell me where it is? No, no, you look it up. Okay. Question six. And since the generation after Joshua did not know God, what filled the void left by that lack of knowledge? That they worship the Baals. Yeah, they worship the Baals, the Ashtaroth. Um, they call other gods. So I'm not sure how many different ones that would be. The Baals, I've got a little description further on down in here, but the uh, the Baals, there was a bunch of different Baals, and they were they were basically gods. There was Baal. Baal Gad, Baal Bethel, Baal, different ones. And we'll get into that later on, uh, other questions. Um, but the last verse in Judges 21, it said, In those days Israel had no king. Everyone did as they saw fit. So they, they had no spiritual leader, basically. Uh, that that was the end, the end of Judges. Um, Without a spiritual leader, uh, we're past the patriarchal stage where the fathers were in charge. And we went through Moses, uh, Joshua, Caleb, the judges. And as long as the people followed what the judges were doing, they, would, they were okay. But then a judge would pass away and off they went out into the weeds. So they had a desire to do what was right in their own mind. They liked what they saw. Uh, sometimes the grass looks greener on the other side. And uh, question seven here, what was the consequence of this departure from God? Oh, I just read that one, didn't I? No, I didn't want it before. It's kind of along the same lines. Uh, in uh, chapter 2, verses 14 and 15, it said, In his anger against Israel, the Lord gave them into the hands of raiders who plundered them. He sold them into the hands of all their enemies, all around, whom they were no longer able to resist. Whenever Israel went out to fight, the hand of the Lord was against them to defeat them, just as he had sworn to them. They were in great distress. So God promised to do their fighting for them, to give the land to them, if they did what he told them to do. And when they went off the reservation, that's when God did what he told them to do, what he told them he would do the other way around. I will not be with you. Uh, question eight here. Who were the judges? I don't know if they want the names here, because question 14 will get into, they want us to name the first three. I think maybe what they mean is, what are the judges? What did they do? They delivered Israel from their enemies. They were basically a spiritual leader, weren't they, for Israel? They may have, they may have wanted like verse 16, where it says the Lord raised up judges who rescued them yep. from the hands of those who 
robbing or plundering. I have down here the the book of Judges contains a history of the Israelites for a period of about 350 years. From the death of Joshua to the death of Samson, or really to the time of the prophet Samuel. Uh, and as I stated before, the, the judges, rulers, deliverers, saviors, all can be translated out of this Jewish or Hebrew word shaphet. Uh, it not only carries the idea of maintaining justice and settling disputes, but it is also used to mean liberating and delivering. So these judges weren't just a judge. They were also, you know, I'm, I'm your, uh, basically a king. Uh, not really a king, but, you know, the leader of the people. They, they didn't have a Joshua. They didn't have Moses. Um, first, the judges would deliver the people, and then they would rule and administer the justice. Essentially, they, they were liberators, and they delivered the people from their enemies. And then once, once things were settled down, they, delivered, they, they would then rule and administer justice. Well, that's about it for this lesson. Somebody, unless somebody else has something to add on 8, we will start over at 9, not next week, but the following week. And I like the question who says, what was the attitude of the people towards the judges? What's our attitudes today towards judges? <laughs> it depends which side of the bench you're on. switch hats here and we'll go a little different direction. There is beyond the azure blue a God concealed from human sight. He tinted skies with heavenly hue and framed the worlds with his great might. The other morning I was driving up to uh, Polk. We still have an old house up there I'm working on. And as I was driving along, it was just a beautiful morning. You could feel that fall was in the air. The, uh, it was crisp, a clean morning. You could see some puffy clouds high up in the sky. And the sky... You could only describe it as azure blue. It was beautiful. I started singing the song, and my spirit began to soar. Yes, it was a good morning to be alive, both physically and spiritually. Feeling that closeness to the one true God, the God who made everyone and everything. Uh, change of the seasons, I look out and I see things, and it's just like, God has made such a magnificent earth here. Uh, where we're placed in the solar system, everything that we have around us. When, when you go out into space and you look at the Earth, 
its very thin protection layer of our atmosphere, uh, judging by the, the size of the whole planet, it's just amazing to me. And I thought about God making everything. Uh, thinking about this song, I'd like to read from Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 and 17. It said, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible. Whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And I've always liked that last part where it says all things are held together. It, there's so much movement going around in the solar system on our planet, which spins around, you know, 24,000 miles an hour uh, every day. We, we may we spin around and it's all held together, everything. The words of the song are simple, but at the heart of the song, we see an awareness of our own existence, an acknowledgement of a God that created us, and there's a recognition that this physical world was created by powers unseen by humans. And there are supposedly, I, I should say, there are learned people that can't understand that. They don't understand how a supreme being, God, could just make this. In Hebrews 11 and verse 3, it states, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So God spoke it, and it came into existence. And in the song it states, He framed the worlds with His great might. Yes, He made and defines the world. The song is also a history lesson for us. God formed us from the dust of the earth. In the song it says, From dust our God created man. There is a God. He is alive. In Him we live and we survive. We survive, meaning that we continue, continue to live. We are alive. We're alive in God. He is our God, the great I Am. He designed us. He put us here. We are to love the Lord, our God, with all our heart, all our soul. We are his hands and his feet in this earthly life. There are people who say there is no God because God wouldn't allow the bad things that we see or hear about happening. But we need to let others see that God is alive in the way that we live. In John chapter 1, the first four verses states, <clears throat> In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made. That has been made. Nothing has been made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. We should approach life with the attitude that he is our God. In him we live and do as he commands. And now I would just like to say, go and promote the gospel, the good news of Jesus. 
God's answer to mankind's problem. So I know everyone in here is Christian. Uh, this is meant more to be more inspirational, maybe, I hope. And if there's anybody that has any needs, anything that needs to be brought up, you could come forward now as we stand and sing.